the American dream has become a nightmare. Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town. Like a cancer that silently spreads, there's an unspoken fear. We're on our way down. We must eat America back. Main Street to Wall Street, cities and states, Washington D.C. Before it's too late, there's not long. Well, folks, uh, to take America back is going to require more than voting. I made the proposition recently, Stephen, that. Uh, I think we ought to call the voters in America the Nero element because they're fiddling while their country is destroyed. And I I just don't understand that people, you have to understand your number one enemy is the government you're voting for because they intend to do away with you. Why else would they support these darn professors out there who are teaching to teaching their students to destroy the country. Go ahead, Stephen. I'm getting fired up here. I, I think what we got to do is to take ourselves back. You know, if yeah. that's what I have to do is take myself back. Somehow, I didn't go down. I didn't volunteer to have my name put on that birth certificate and get traded by these people or sold. To the, however, it was that I, you know. However, all that happened. I, I didn't agree to that beforehand so i take myself back somehow you know i don't know how to, what i'm trying to say exactly but that's what it it has come down to for me that's the only kind of solution i can i can get any uh demonstrable result from anyway that i've seen any result from that i put any effort toward at least other things i felt like i was just banging my head against the wall or you know like Charlie Brown trying to kick that football. I'm going to vote one more time, but then it's going to make a difference. One more time, let's try it, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. ha, ha, fooled you, and ah, up on the air and splat <laughs> once again. <clears throat> Pardon me, Stephen. <laughs> you you cracked me up, and I, I was thinking so much of, of, you know, these things that we look at. You know, we're paying with, with our tax dollars, paid professors to teach our children that they should overthrow their own country, you know, that they, you know, that they should become, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what, but, you know, here, let me throw out another quote here before I get uh, tongue-tied and can't talk. And this one came and it said, and I quote, these are the critical years for us as a Latino community. We're in a state of transition. And that transformation is called the browning of America. Latinos are now becoming the majority because I know that time and history is on the side of the Chicano Latino community. It is changing in the future and in the present, the balance of power of this nation. It's a game. It's a game of power. Who controls it? You are like the generals that command armies. We're in a state of war. What this means is a transfer of power. It means our control, unquote. 
Well, who said that? Armando Navarro, professor of ethnic studies at the University of California at Riverside. Philip, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know where my head went there. But, uh, Stephen, why were the, the states in their state universities, why were they paying these people to subvert America 20 years ago? Well, there has to be an agenda there. I mean, I, I agree with James Lindsay when he says that people should stop hiring anybody that graduated from any of these universities in the past 10 years anyway. It's just ridiculous. It's there. I can't think of a place you could go that's not overrun by it. Now, when I went to Furman University, which at the time was a Southern Baptist college you know, university, and it was had Marxist in it. I got into it with them then. I just couldn't go along to get along, y'all. But that's where where I went at, at, back in from seventy eight to eighty one, and I can't imagine what it's like now. So you know, there has to be you know it has to be by design, and the people that are coming in, it goes back like you said. There are these waves starting with the forty eighters, and then you had the Frankfurt uh, School, and then coming yes. into and all that uh, you know that 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 whole history has reverberated around the country and i was thinking about how this this conflict between quote unquote latinos was goes back all the way back when there was spain and then france and spain and england competing here and you know then you come up to the quote unquote revolution and then where we were with the civil war and now it just it's like one wave after another and it's like they seem to know something is coming where there's going to be this power play for out west and you know if we recognize that down south here and try to respond then we're terrorists but they're uh you know esteemed professors at a university being supported by the state how does that make any sense it doesn't. It makes no sense to a logical person. And here's the thing, you know, that, that just really gets to me. And I said that, uh, you know, when someone does a study of America, you know, if the planet survives. And, you know, and the uh, if we are still here as a race, I mean, the people of this country, and someone looks back at the history of this country, again, they're going to say, those people had to be the stupidest people in the history of the world because they had every indication, they had every warning, but they thought, and, you know, I made this statement one time on uh, K-Talk Radio when I was being interviewed in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I remember they were talking about the Constitution. Oh, how the Constitution is such a wonderful thing, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, let me tell you something. When has the Constitution ever stopped a crooked politician? And then we went on with the discussion, and I said, well, you know, here's the crazy thing, guys. The Constitution is a pacifier that the government allows you to suck on while they rape you. And people have all of this confidence in this Constitution. When has it ever worked, Stephen? When has it ever stopped tyranny? When has it ever stopped despotism? Did it stop Abraham Lincoln? Go ahead, buddy. I can't think of a time that I could point to that, man, I'm sure glad we had that document. You know, it just, I can't think of one. 
is I didn't realize how it was such a conspiracy against the Articles of Confederation and the original 13 nations that were here, you know, to start with, either a counter-revolution against the Declaration uh, by the powers that should not be, you know, that's that's really what it boils down to, that we the people was, uh, we the people are going to be protected, the government is going to be protected from us now. That's what that constitution is. It's like a way for uh, the government to be protected from us instead of the other way around. Really what it boils down to gives them the right or the power to do whatever they want if it's necessary and proper. And, and that just kept getting ramped up and ramped up and also the taxation that they can just take whatever they have to. There's no limit to their power there really. It's just – yeah, it, it, and eventually it destroyed all of the states. And I think that these people that came supposedly to fight for the America or the Union, they were fighting for a strong national conquering government, not for American values or for anything to do with rightful liberty. It, 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 it's like the it, it, it looks more and more that conflict between a struggle for authoritarian and centralized government and whatever rightful liberty free men can preserve for themselves and why you know we're losing rightful liberty is really on the downturn well Stephen, uh a lady sent me a uh i guess it was a youtube or something i forgot what it was but i looked at it today she asked me what do you think about this and this was a, a religious group in montana and I have never seen anything about the Constitution so full of lies in all of my life. You know, they, they go into detail. Well, you know, three of the delegates were Baptists, four of them were Episcopalians, five of them were, you know, this. And that's all a lie. They were Unitarians and Deists. All you have to do is research it, and you'll come up with that. They were not what they said. And then they go into great detail about how the wonderful Benjamin Franklin proposed prayers, that prayers are necessary, and they go through all of that stuff. But then they don't tell people that the prayers were voted down. It's it's a, the lie of omission, but it's like one big, huge propaganda to keep the hook in their mouth so they can't get away. Mm-hmm. And and it's conducted by a church. Ah, well, there you go. That five hundred one c three federally uh, uh, mandated uh, means of social control, federally approved. Yeah, Not and they even they even had a quote. I'm sorry, Stephen. They even had a quote from George Washington that said, "We are here today to promote liberty throughout the country." He never said that. It's not in any of the records. It wasn't recorded by anyone. So someone had to make it up. Because if you look at Madison's notes, Yates' notes, you look at uh, Luther Martin's notes, you look at all of the notes that were taken, there's not one mention of George Washington ever saying that. So yeah, they it was just, such a, I mean, done in secret and swearing everybody. Nobody told, I'm sure it mentioned that they were sworn to a secrecy for 50, you know. Nope, didn't 50, mention that. Yeah. Uh, no, they said they, they put covers over the doors so they could talk in private. But they didn't it, mention they put armed guards at the doors, too, to prevent anyone from finding out what was going on. It's, and, uh, you know, it's amazing to me when the churches are pushing these lies. 
But you you nailed it. 501c3, they belong to the government, and the government's going to use them for their purposes. Yeah, they've taken just about taken everything, man. That what was was medicine, whatever you know. That's that's gone out the door too. It's just it, it's disgusting, and the media, the courts, uh, and the elections. So wh- what is left? There's no solution to the problem. This system inside of this system, y'all. It's just not. I don't see it. Well. You know, Stephen, I would have said back in 2000, I would have said that the Republicans should have above anything else. But I think here's the key. That 2000 election is a key. The the Supreme Court stepped in and told Florida to stop counting votes. And so they, uh, in essence, the Supreme Court said, okay, George W. Bush, you're president. He wasn't elected. He was made president by the Supreme Court because how do we know how those votes that weren't counted in Florida would have turned out? And the Supreme Court jumps in and stops that. Was there one Republican who complained about that? Was there one Republican who complained about the Constitution being violated by the Supreme Court? you know of one, Stephen, in 2000 that ever said, no, this is not right. I don't care who won. It's not right what you're doing. I, I can't name any. You know, I don't know. I, well, don't know I, I can't say nobody didn't, but I don't know of anyone who did. No, sir. I've searched, and I couldn't find out anyone who publicly said anything about it. I know that the Republicans were jumping up and down and celebrating the fact that the Supreme Court picked their president for them. I remember then, it was the, hang, the hanging Chad vote, and so that whole that whole thing was going. You know that that was the first one that, that made this big rift. But then you had nine eleven, and I just wondered if uh, the fix was in because that was coming. I don't know. Oh yes, oh yes, uh, without a doubt, that's what was coming because I actually got to talk. I, gosh, I wish I could remember his name, Anthony Zinni. You ever heard of him? Uh, I don't. I don't think so, sir. Okay, Anthony Zinni was a lieutenant general in the Marine Corps, and at that time in 2000, he was considered to be the foremost authority on the Mid East. Well, the uh, you know Rumsfeld once a Bush takes office in 2001, Rumsfeld calls in the uh, gosh, I wish I could think of the name of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, but anyway, he called him in and he brought Anthony Zinni with him. And they had a conference. And Rumsfeld says, here, I want a plan to invade Iraq. Now, this is well before 9-11. I want a plan to invade Iraq. And so Anthony Zinni, the lieutenant general for the Marine Corps, uh, being an honorable man, he does everything he can. He works with the uh, Joint Chiefs. They come up with an invasion plan to invade Iraq, 500,000 men. Well, when they bring it in to Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld takes a look at it and throws it in a trash can. These are official words from Zinni. Throws it in a trash can and says, no, we're going to use shock and awe. And Zinni says, that'll never work. You can't do that because they've got munitions all over that country that they've secreted. We know that from our intelligence reports. And they will go to these weapons and make, you know, and they will make it hell for our soldiers. Oh, well, that's all right. We're going to use shock and all. And, of course, you know, then shortly after that, 
you know, they start the war and then Bush is up there dancing around on an aircraft carrier. The war's over, the war's over, the war's over. And it wasn't. But Americans still can't see this. They still think that there is an answer in the ballot box. They still believe that that dream that there is actually an answer. They believe it to today. You know, we've still got people. I had a guy tell me today, well, you know, the only chance I think we got is Donald Trump. What? You know, and oh. and we hear this is what they have been conditioned for all of their lives. If you want to change the government, make sure you vote in an election. Well, you never change the government. The government changes who you elect. I, Steve and I still can't figure out why people can't figure this out, buddy. I'm, you know, I'm at a, I'm at a loss because I'm certainly not the sharpest uh, pencil in the drawer. But I can see this. This is so obvious; it's incredible. It's obvious to Ray Charles, and he's blind and dead. It could be. It should be. But cognitive dissonance I guess so many people bamboozled, and it took me over sixty-two years to figure that out. You know, I still uh, have to remind myself every day to look at history through these new lenses. That, that, you know, it, I was looking at them through the the, the uh, television lens for so long. Uh, just you're not going to get any truth there. It's people have been bamboozled by that, and you talk, even before that, it was of course the newspapers. They that it were influenced by, and I but. And then the radio, oh, man, I'm glad to be on the radio, but that was a big thing, too, that changed. And it's always been propaganda and control of people's minds. I remember reading that Bernays book, and that was how they sold that first war. Just right, ironically, right after they got the Federal Reserve passed. What are the oh, odds? Imagine that. Yeah, imagine like, that. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? Yeah. And well, I, always, I never suspected the Titanic you know could have been involved in that and when i was a kid you know you always i would hear about the titanic sinking and then even that you know it's just you have to re-examine i had to re-examine everything i had learned or been taught i had to unlearn what i'd been taught and learn the truth that i could discover that that's the way i had to do it i guess everybody's going to have to do it that way well uh steven you ever heard of william colby c-o-l-b-y yeah, the hit CIA guy. We used to, I remember in uh, middle school reading all these Colby books that had all the weapons in them. They were oh uh, yes. He, <laughs> yeah. Okay, do you know what he told Congress? Well, he actually told it was the Senate Investigating Committee. Do you know what he told? It's on the official record. Do you know what he told that committee in 1975? What's that, sir? The CIA owns everyone of any major importance in the major media. So why are people today going, oh, my gosh, Tucker Carlson, he's our answer. He's the man. Do they think that the CIA didn't own him? When Tucker Carlson covers the Liberty, y'all let me know. Yeah. Well, he's been asked to. I've got got confirmation. If he does cover that, then I I will actually listen to what he has to say. But until then, eh. Now, me, me too, and I know a guy who has sent him the tapes on the uh, uh, gentleman uh, was in. I was conversing with today, 
And he asked me, he said, well, I'm going to send them to him anyway. I said, well, I don't want you to be disappointed, but don't expect too much. And he said, well, I've got to try. And I said, exactly right. You can hit the ball if you don't swing the bat. But he can't afford to touch that. He can't afford to touch USS Liberty. His career would be over in a heartbeat if he touched USS Liberty. But we'll see if he is real. Yeah, but I, it, I, yeah, it would would really prove out because there is no way they can allow that to me. It, 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 they would end him if he did it. That's oh, exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, when you stop and think that our buddy Phil Turney. I don't know if you heard it yesterday when he was talking about it. I questioned him about it again. At the San Diego airport, he was confronted. He and his wife were confronted by a Mossad agent who identified himself as such and said, it's time for you to shut the F up now. So, you know, we own everyone of any major importance of any significant importance in the uh, major media. And then what did William Casey say in 1982? They'll know their disinformation program is complete when Americans have no idea what's going on when they hear the nightly news, that they're completely bamboozled. When everything they believe is a lie. Yeah. A lie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Folks, if people will tell you what they're going to do, why do you deny it when they do it? I, I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I, you know, what else do they have to say? And yet millions of people today tune into that lobotomy box every day believing those little plastic heads on TV who are reading from a CIA script are telling you the truth. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, it is. I... Well, buddy, I tell you what, it is just, I don't know. You and I, all we can do is what we're doing now. Yeah, and I hope we... We could get together again at the Dixie Republic, y'all. There are people out there who have woken up to this. I met some of them. Okay, I was just looking at the Magnolia, the the, the this this uh, newspaper there, remembering old times. So I don't want to black pill people too much. There there are a remnant out there, so don't give up hope. Well, there is, and you know, and of course we go back to the wonderful, you know. Uh, book of Isaiah, when, uh, you know, we talk about the remnant, and uh, we are told, in essence, that the masses are never going to wake up. And so America depends on the people who have the intelligence to wake up. And, you know, just, Stephen, we're not asking people to do something we haven't done, are we? No, just question everything you know. And see if it holds up. That's the muster. That's what I do over and over again. And it's hard to accept the truth sometimes, but it's a lot easier than living a lie. Well, I remember several decades ago, uh, you know, uh, one of the ironies of my wonderful wife and myself is the fact that I was in (laughs) – Cambodia, uh, not officially, but I was in Cambodia when uh, 
she was at Kent State University for the wonderful shooting. Wow. And so it was kind of odd that we ever got together, and I used to taunt her because this is how much of a statist I was back then. I used to taunt her, and I, I used to hold up four fingers and then a zero in the other hand, and I'd say, what's that, honey? And she said, I don't know, and I said, National Guard 4, Kent State 0. And mm. that is how deep I was in the bucket. And people, if this old Appalachian redneck hillbilly can figure this out, surely you other folks can figure it out as well. And Stephen, we are, you know, we look at our groups today. We look at, you know, our wonderful Confederate groups. And we look at them and we look at how many people within those groups still believe there's a political answer to this problem. How can they believe that there's a political answer to this problem knowing the history of what happened to their ancestors who had the guts to stand up and fight this mess? Yes, I was wondering how that exactly took place. I was, after Lincoln was elected in 1860, that was in November, right? Still, it was in November when that election was then, as it is now. Election day was still the same yes. time of the year. Mm-hmm. So, so Christmas Eve, South Carolina secedes. So that 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 was, and then it was when, when was it? It was it wasn't until March. When was it that Lincoln was inaugurated? It was March, wasn't it? Right. The next mm-hmm. year. Yes, yes, sir. Okay. I'm trying to get that timeline in my my head earlier because there had. to the things that happened between the election and the, the secession, I, 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 what was it that pushed it over the edge, do you think? Well, here's the thing I think that happened, and I think history will show that. Now, if we go back to the ratification conventions and we look at the ratification convention in Rhode Island, we look at the ratification convention in New York, and we look at the ratification convention in Virginia and Arkansas. When we look at those uh, times, no, I'm talking about, let me leave Arkansas out, go back to those original states. Those three states, Rhode Island, New York, and Virginia, put a provision into their ratification document that said that at any time the federal government exceeds its authority and overtakes the state's and dominates the states, the states have a right to secede. Well, the federal government accepted that at that time. They accepted that proviso in their state uh, ratification agreements. They accepted it. Well, Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution says all states have the same privileges and immunities. So every state has a right to secede according to those ratification documents. And the crazy thing about it is, I mentioned Arkansas before, because Arkansas, uh, North Carolina, Virginia, and let me see, what other state was it? Um, anyway, we had four, Tennessee, was it Tennessee? Anyway, we had four states that said, no, we're not going to secede. And they voted not to secede. And then after, allegedly, after Lincoln, you know, the bomb, the cannonade at Fort Sumter, which injured nobody, 
suddenly, oh, the, the Union has been attacked. Abraham Lincoln committed at least five acts of war against the South before Fort Sumter ever happened. But we're not taught about that. You know, and the very fact that the uh, people at Fort Sumter, the Union troops under Major Anderson, that they actually, under the color of darkness on Christmas Eve, put their men into civilian uniforms, which is an act of subterfuge, an act of war, put their men into those canoes and went across the bay to take Fort Sumter instead of Fort Moultrie. Why did they move? Because Fort Sumter was a revenue collection point. And so when Fort Sumter was fired upon, Lincoln immediately orders up 75,000 troops to invade the South. Well, here comes the weather. Uh, weather. <laughs> here yeah. comes the music. We'll be back on the other side. From Nazareth he came with the ragtag band to bring a revolution. Some would make him king. Others couldn't stand for that The cross was a solution But he rose again Wise men follow him But he rose again Wise men follow him Thank God for the renegades I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network. Real news, real talk, real people. Because you can handle the truth. Hey there, are you going to wait till the cows come home to get your new ease-off drop-and-lift? What in the world is an ease-off drop-and-lift? Our ease-off is a new tool to increase production for your meat processing company that will get that whole hog or half a beef on or off your rail with our remote control. That sounds great, but can I afford it? Sure! And the ease-off installs fast. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue, speed up your line, and increase profits. Okay, I'm convinced. Where can I get my ease-off? Go to easeoff.com. That's E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry, because we're offering free shipping for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. February is Heart Month, and every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendivite. 
I'm so excited to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family, and we look forward to bringing you the pasture-raised meats that you and your family will love. Now, we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high-quality pasture-raised meats, and even when they did, it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now, I'm not talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free-range or even cage-free, terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low-quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. But I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your delight. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork. Raised the way nature intended. banjo i really don't think so because that's honest music it's wires and wood there is no electronic enhancement with bluegrass that's why i love it so much but that's not the subject for today is it Stephen? uh no sir i i like it too <laughs> yeah, I, I can talk music all night but i <laughs> we've been we're being set up again i was thinking about that during the break just the way you described the situation that the way things were steered into a conflict and a war during the quote-unquote civil war, it's coming again with how you talked about this Azatlan. They want to secede. They're setting that thing up over there too. And now the crisis with the border demonstrating how corrupt they are, there's going to be a reaction. So I think that they want this thing to fall apart, honestly. They're just waiting for the spark. You know, you're exactly right. I want to jump back for just a minute, if I can, to uh, what we uh, didn't finish there before the break. And that was that the there were four states that voted not to secede. Four southern states that voted not to secede. 
But then Lincoln ordered them to provide troops to invade the southern states. And those four states said, not no, but hell no. We're not doing this. And they seceded because of Lincoln's demand that they provide troops. Not to protect slavery, people. They seceded They seceded because they had been ordered to provide troops to invade their fellow citizens in other states, and they were not about to do that. And that's not taught in school either. Were you ever taught that, Stephen? No, sir. And and then the, the first states that he made war against they hadn't even seceded yet. Yeah, the three that's states. Like, yeah. He invaded both Maryland and Kentucky and uh, Missouri, militarily invaded them, and they hadn't seceded. And yet you can tell people this, and they look at you like, uh, duh, that's not what I was taught in school. They say, well, it's a good thing we preserved the Union. Yeah, we we preserved the union. We preserved (laughs) the union for the Marxist. Yeah, exactly. It it was kind of started by them in a in a way too, I guess. But yeah, it's uh, it's It's, diabolical when I look at it from this point of view. You know, at back and 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 I see it happening again. That's the scariest part. Oh, it's it's coming, and you know, Stephen. I'm I'm an old guy, and I look at this, and I, I don't worry about it for me. I will stand on rightful liberty as long as the good Lord gives me breath, and I'm not going to give it up. But that's me. But I look at my grandkids, and, Stephen, I shudder. Sometimes it wakes me up at night thinking about what they're going to have to live through. Are they going to be treated just as our southern ancestors were were treated by the Union Army, some of whom couldn't even speak English, which we're about to look at again, who invaded the South and decided, well, uh, Lincoln said we could vote ourselves a farm. Why don't we just seize ourselves a farm? Your thoughts, buddy? I think that that's what's happening now with a lot of these immigrants coming in especially with the way that they treat people in uh, Europe and then in Seattle. I saw that, too, that already in the Northwest a lot, people are just going and taking what they want. I mean, look at the crime wave all over the country. They come here and then, well, if they didn't get, they just think that it's theirs, I guess. And if we don't stand up to it, it's going to get worse. Would you mind, uh, I I brought this up. I brought this up on some of the Confederate groups, and we're talking about Black History Month. And back in the year 2000, which is, what, 24 years ago, I wrote an article which was published in the Virginia Military Institute's cadet newspaper. Now, here's what I I would like to read this because I want you people to understand what this word that they use against us over and over and over called racism. I want you to hear this and I'll read it as quickly as I can. And this was actually published back when at VMI, my son was a first classman at this time. This was back when 
the cadet newspaper was controlled by the cadets and not the administration. And so they chose to print my article. And I feel like I feel compelled to read this, Stephen. I know you probably haven't seen it or haven't read it. So I want to run this by the folks real quickly. Lost amid the ceremonies, parades, and speeches of graduation last week at the military Inst- Virginia Military Institute, there was a small ceremony honoring the contributions of a native son of Rockbridge County, Virginia. Six members of the Corps of Cadets requested and were granted the required permit for this off-post ceremony. But they had been duly warned their act honoring the valor and the service of this Confederate soldier could not in any way be construed as being sanctioned by VMI. These six cadets, five members of the Pipe and Drum Corps and one reenactor, assembled at the Evergreen Cemetery in Lexington, Virginia, on the afternoon of May the 14th. The ceremony was a solemn military tribute consisting of a march to the gravesite, a placing of a folded flag on the headstone, the playing of Amazing Grace and Dixie on the bagpipes, followed by the rendered salute. There was only four observers at this tribute to the memory of a man who by all records gallantly and willingly served his country in its time of need. His tombstone tells us he was Levi Miller, Confederate States of America, with the dates of his birth and passing. His service record tells us he served with the 5th Texas Infantry Regiment from 1861 to 1865 as it campaigned in Virginia, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee. The record also reflects he refused an enticement to desert to join Union forces during the Gettysburg campaign. It documents his participation in combat at the Battle of the Wilderness in May of 1864. Like many others who served the Confederacy, he received a pension for his service. The newspaper accounts of his passing tells us he was accorded a hero's burial in Lexington, Virginia. The following day, May the 15th, these same cadets joining the remainder of the Corps marched in the traditional New Market Day parade honoring the contributions of the Corps of Cadets who marched from Lexington to New York to New Market and there joined the battle in which 10 of their number would pay the ultimate price in defense of their country. Hundreds, including many school children, assembled to watch this moving tribute to the sacrifices of this brave group of men. A prayerful appeal was made by the cadet chaplain that all would follow the example of honor exemplified in their devotion to duty. Wreaths would be placed beneath the watchful eye of the statue known as Virginia Mourns Her Dead. The two ceremonies mentioned above graphically illustrate the horns of the dilemma that the Virginia Military Institute now finds itself inextricably lodged on in the administration Mad's desire to be politically correct. It can honor the contributions of the cadets who marched into battle on May the 15th, 1864, but it cannot allow the display of the flag they fought under. In addition, the administration threatened the cadets in the drum and bugle, uh, drum and uh, bagpipe cadets with expulsion for daring to honor these cadets of Newmarket with the playing of Dixie. Gradually, Thomas J. Stonewall Jackson's name is mentioned less and less as the Institute would rather praise their later graduates who fought in more acceptable wars. 
As for the first ceremony, there were no restrictions for the six cadets as they honored Levi Miller's service to the Confederacy with the playing of Dixie and Amazing Grace, along with the presentation and display of the stars and bars, the Confederate battle flag. The powers that exist at the new politically correct Virginia Military Institute made sure that they in no way could be connected with honoring the service of this Confederate veteran who had the audacity to be born black. By any standard, honoring the cadets of VMI who fought so gallantly at New Market in 1864, who all happened to be white, but refusing to be connected with a ceremony acknowledging the contributions of a black soldier who fought in the same war on the same side, can only be construed as racist. In its haste to worship at the altar of political correctness, the administration of the Virginia Military Institute now finds itself an icon of hypocrisy. This administration would have us believe the revisionist history view that the cadets of 1864 were actually on a spring outing when they happened upon a battle in Newmarket and joined in like a pickup basketball game, never realizing who their teammates were or why they were actually fighting. If it were only possible that the supplications of the cadet chaplain would be allowed and all would show the honor and commitment of those brave cadets of Newmarket, unfortunately, the administration and the Board of Visitors of the Virginia Military Institute have shown by their refusal to allow the symbols and music of the Confederacy that collectively they do not possess the honor or integrity of even one of those gallant men who charged across that field of lost shoes. The proof is undeniable. Those who follow the ideals of political correctness have no devotion to truth, only the undying devotion to their God government. To paraphrase the words of Stonewall Jackson, if the Institute is to be heard from today, it will be the meek words of surrender, unquote. Your thoughts, Stephen? They keep coming after the history of the South that way all over. It just changes the names. It's like it's it, that's what's going. What's next is what's really scary. They run out of white statues to tear down. They're going to come after white people. I think that's what will happen. They're going to sit sick the same crowd on them. This politically correct crowd you were writing about in two thousand. They have twenty four years later. Now they're in really in power you know i remember things going on between the 90 to 2000 dixie was under the flag was under attack st andrew's cross flag locally here in duncan south carolina burns high school rebels they made them take it off in the 90s and they fought back then but they ended up giving in it came down off the state house grounds thank you nikki haley will forget that you know i wish she quit <laughs> that's just it's frustrating, Mike. You know, I've seen this happening, and it's to the point now they're running out of history to rewrite and monuments to tear down. They're going to start coming after the people. That's that's what's next, I'm afraid, just as you predicted. Well, you know, I don't know, but I got to tell you, and I got to tell the listeners, I was so proud in the year 2000. My wife, Susanna, and I drove all the way from Tucson, Arizona, to VMI in Lexington, Virginia, because our son had engineered this tribute to this black Confederate. And he had five of his fellow cadets join him in this tribute. 
And Evergreen Cemetery in Lexington is an all-black cemetery. And they went to that. It actually has on his headstone. It may not be there now, Stephen, but on his headstone was a picture of the Confederate battle flag in a black cemetery. But yet we're told that it was all about slavery. Do you think this black man would have put his life on the line to protect the institute that enslaved his own race? No, I think he was trying to defend his home from invaders. That's what I think. Exactly. And if you go back, like you mentioned earlier, and we had the wonderful lady from the South Carolina Historical Society on, you know, uh, Karen Stokes. And folks, read her books because her books are actual documents in the Historical Society. South Carolina, 1865. Read it. Read what these wonderful immigrants did to the people in the South. These people, many of whom couldn't even speak English. Why should any campaign for a public office have to have people speaking foreign languages to the potential voters, Stephen? I was struck the other day by this form, a federal form to fill out, and it mentioned all the different in languages I did not recognize. There were probably two dozen or more languages on this form. It's like, what? It just it, it it's just so to the point that we're not a, this is not a country anymore. This is a you know what's left of that empire, or whatever. It just there is no cohesiveness, no common anything anymore. It, it, it's just we all are under the same boot. It's the USSA, and I realize that it's been headed that way for a long time. I don't know at what point it actually became that, but it's what it is now. I don't think that we're headed in that direction. I believe that's really where we are. We're living in the USSA, and these January 6th prisoners are living in our gulag that we have here now. That's all it is yet, but, you know, the gulags grow. I read the the gulag archipelago again last year, and it starts off with that here you are at your arrest, and these people get arrested, and they're going around following more people now that they're planning to arrest. Federal air marshals following people around who just happened to fly into D.C. that day for a funeral or something. I mean, that's really going on now, and this is what time it is in America. Well, we have been oppressed by a government, and you uh – made this statement, and it's precisely square, is that Americans, I don't know if they don't want to believe, if they are so damn dumb they can't reason anymore. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. But it is plain and obvious that the Constitution of 1787 was written to accomplish exactly what's happening now. There are no restrictions on the federal government. None. Oh, you and people will say, well, the federal, the Constitution says that uh, the Congress can make no law. Well, they've done it anyway. The Second Amendment says shall not be infringed. It's been infringed over 2,000 times. What's it going to take, Stephen, for these people to have 
the least bit of understanding of what this this constitution doesn't work. It never has worked. Did it stop Abraham Lincoln? Did it stop the uh, FDR? Did it stop all of these unconstitutional wars? Did it stop the people from lying to create wars? Go ahead, buddy. Did it stop them cancel culture and shutting people's speech off or shutting down people's business just because, hey, public health, y'all, stop? Did it stop them from enforceably injecting people with poison to keep their jobs? No, it didn't. No, I don't think this Constitution serves us very well, bro. Sorry, I'm grateful I never swore an oath to it. Well, it's absolutely incredible. I did swear an oath to it. But I tell you what, on that day in 1964, when I raised my hand and repeated the pledge, I got to be honest with you, the only thing I knew about the Constitution was the lies I'd been taught in school. So I pledged allegiance to something I had no clue what it was. Now, folks, here's something I know, you know, we're going to get some kickback on this. But, folks, there is a reason. I'm going to tell you straight up. There's a reason that 22 veterans a day take their own life. Because they, unlike you, realize they've been lied to. If you want to have to deal with something, realize that you were sent to another country and you took the lives of people who had you had never met, people you had never known, and you did that because your country fabricated a freaking lie. Now, if you want to know why these veterans, and that's one thing I did research on, 58,184 Americans died in Vietnam, including 11 women. But... Since that time, since the war was over 75, more than 100,000 Vietnam vets have taken their own lives. Why? If they, are, if they are fighting for freedom and everything else, why do they take their own lives? Because they figured out the lie and they can't live with the fact they were duped and tricked. And you people claim you care about veterans. No, you don't. If you cared about veterans, you'd stop these damn wars started on lies. Help me out here, uh, Stephen, before I jump out the window. Amen, brother. You're preaching to the choir here. Mossad, with their money trees and their spin doctors and the media, they make war by way of deception. They wage war by way of deception. Only answer to that I see is to wage peace by way of the truth. So I'm going to keep telling the truth no matter who believes it or who listens. I will keep talking as long as I can and tell the truth. And if I get proven wrong, I'll change my mind. But you've got to prove me wrong. And I've learned that most of the things that I thought I knew, I was wrong about. So, you know, this, this well, is folks. Some... Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry, Stephen. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh the thing uh, I just wanted to tell you, folks, uh, I'm uh, really putting out some uh, substacks here on uh, the Constitution, especially dealing with the Anti-Federalist. And it is just absolutely amazing, Stephen, the number of things they predicted 234 years ago that were living today. How did they know? And, folks, if you would like to... Uh, Check into my substack. It's michaelgaddy.com. 
substack.com and uh you know become a supporter you know and i it will certainly be helpful and tomorrow i plan to put out one because on robert yates who left the constitutional convention in disgust because they were violating the authority that they had been granted by their individual states and he and john lansing jr left and sent a letter to governor clinton explaining why they left and they said they just could morally not exceed the authority that the people had given them. Oh, if only those others at the convention would have followed that example. But Robert Yates predicted this wonderful government. But anyway, folks, gosh, we love you. We really appreciate all you folks who listen to RBN. Stephen, I can't thank you enough, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks, Mike. Nice to be here. All right, buddy. Give that Wendy a hug for me, would you please? Yes, sir. I know that's a tough job, but you got to do it. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Just kidding. Thanks, everyone. God bless. Take care and support RBN. Good night. Good night.